I'm Glenn Robinson, and I've spent the last 30 years as a healthcare leader and overseeing large organizations. And before that, I was in the news business. And I'm Jacob Robinson, his son. I've spent the last five years building a business and learning lessons of leadership along the way. And this is our podcast, Chasing What Matters. On this podcast, we're going to interview leaders from all walks of life and hear their stories of successes and failures and what has made them become who they are today and how their faith and families played a role in their lives and leadership styles. During these interviews, we will be discussing things from business to politics, healthcare to nonprofit, and anything in between to find out how these leaders are chasing what matters in their work and personal life. So welcome to another episode of Chasing What Matters. Hello, everyone. We're so glad that you could join us for another episode of the Chasing What Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Glenn Robinson. And I'm your other co-host, Jacob Robinson. Tim Lancaster is our guest today. Tim is the retired president and CEO of Hendrick Health System in Abilene, Texas. Hendrick is a 500-bed hospital with over 3,000 employees, serving a 19-county area of West Texas. Tim began his career in banking at Lubbock National Bank and continued as it became a part of Republic Bank. He later switched careers to healthcare, serving in various hospitals across Texas. He served as the chair of the Board of Regents for Texas Tech University. And while in Abilene, Tim served as a deacon at First Baptist Church, and currently he serves in various capacities on the First Financial Bank Board in Abilene as secretary for the Texas Tech Foundation Board and on the board of Buckner International. Tim and his wife of 40 years, Regina, have two grown sons, Chad and wife Lindsay, and their two sons live in Dallas. And their son, Chris, and wife, Meredith, and their three sons live in Lubbock. Tim, welcome to our show. Well, thank you very much, Glenn and Jacob. It's an honor to be a part of your show today. Well, we're, we're honored to have you here. Well, Tim, let's take it all the way back to the beginning. Uh, why don't you tell us where you're from and what growing up was like? Well, I grew up in the big city of Brownwood, uh, Texas, uh, with uh, two parents that uh, were always a part of the home, an older brother to your older brother. Uh, my parents had five and six brothers and sisters apiece, and almost all of them lived in Brownwood. So we were surrounded by aunts and uncles and lots of uh, cousins growing up. And so it was a great, uh, great time in my life until my dad, when I was about six years old, decided that he wanted to uh, surrender to preach. And uh, that's a good Baptist word, meaning that he had struggled with that uh, decision for a long period of time and just finally decided he wanted to do that. And um, life was never the same after that. <laughs> what, so what did y'all move around a lot typically with yeah. uh, by being uh, the son of a Baptist preacher? Yeah, we, we always did. Always said that uh, we knew that uh, uh, life was going to be different when uh, my dad surrendered on Sunday and we sold the ski boat on Monday my brother and I thought this is not a good omen. This is not going to be good. But uh, yeah, we always lived in small towns, always in uh, in Texas. But uh, you know, great great experiences for the for the most part. Oh, wow. Now, and what was he doing before uh, he surrendered to the call? Yeah, he worked for uh, the uh, state highway department there okay. in uh, Brownwood and some kind of. Uh, management uh, position that was doing uh, there. And, uh, you know, I thought we would be in that little town of Brownwood forever. And it just uh, life changed as uh, as it does for all of us. 
Yes. Wow. And as our listeners will learn soon, you were brought back to Brownwood and that's a whole nother story uh, right. later in our podcast. But uh, before all that, you wound up choosing Texas Tech. Tell us about that decision. Yes, my older brother uh, went to school at Texas Tech. He was there on a football scholarship. I always thought that uh, being a good Baptist boy that I would go to Baylor and that would be my school <laughs> of choice. And I went to Lubbock one weekend to visit with him, probably when I'm early in my senior year, uh, visited Tech and just fell in love with it, fell in love with the people, fell in love with the community, uh, and just decided that after that weekend, that's where I needed to, to be. And so that's uh, that's where I headed. Wow. Excellent. Well, I, I know there's, uh, you know, probably a lot of stories about your, your college experience, but my understanding is this is also where you met Regina. Uh, your wife. Tell, tell us about that. Yes, we were actually, I was already, I had already graduated from um, uh, tech and I was working at a, a bank there in uh, Lubbock that I had worked with uh, when I was going to the school, which was actually my first uh, kind of tinkering in uh, management. I managed uh, about 15 part-time tellers that we were all college students and uh, I don't know why they entrusted a bunch of college students to be in charge of the, the bank as we were, but uh, we, uh, it was a great experience. And I stayed on there after I graduated from uh, tech, Regina was uh, working there at the, the bank and um, we met. Um, it was a little rocky at the beginning. She was church of Christ. I was Baptist. And that was a time when those denominations were pretty important to each of us and our families, especially. And uh, so we kind of worked through that and uh, this finally came to the realization that we were Christians first and denomination second. And I think we kind of had that out of order at the beginning, but uh, finally got that right sized. And 44 years later, it's been a been a great relationship that she's that she stayed with me for that long has been great well now was she on that team of 15 that you were leading or was she in a different department she was in a different department uh, we somehow would manage to run into each other in the stairwell there at the bank uh, every day and i i, I get that had to be a, a, a god's intervention and uh, putting us together i think that's great. That's great. Well, she's a great lady. And uh, for many of our listeners that may not know that probably come out before this podcast is over, uh, uh, we really cherish you and Regina's dear friends and uh, colleagues in healthcare for many years. And uh, and we still have the privilege of getting to see each other from time that's to time. And That's and right. So, we should have more time to see each other now, Glenn. Why isn't that working out? Um, I, I think you're going to talk to Rhonda about that. Uh, and, uh, I think it has something uh, to do with all those grandkids, doesn't it? I, I think it does. I think it does. And uh, in fact, we were uh, on the road this morning coming back uh, from spending time with uh, Jacob and Melissa and Pierce and Annie and uh, spending time there. Well, now, Tim, uh, you, you continued in the banking business for a while before you switched careers. I, I did. I stayed in banking probably until I was in my mid thirties. Uh, and then I just started getting restless. I just decided that I, I, I'm a watcher of people and I love to watch people and what they were doing. And there were some people there um, at the bank that were in their mid fifties and they were just biding their time waiting for retirement and I just vowed then that I would never do that, that I would make sure that whatever it is that I was going to do in this 
whatever career that it was, I would do something that I enjoyed doing. And if I didn't enjoy it, I'd get out of it and do something else. And so really, as the Lord did me throughout my whole career, he would prepare me uh, for a time when I would when I was getting ready to make a move, I would start getting this feeling of restlessness uh, that I needed to be doing something else. I uh, started talking to different people. I had a headhunter that called me about a uh, a job there in uh, Lubbock in healthcare, and I knew nothing about uh, healthcare. I didn't know what the different special medical specialties were, what doctors did, but so it was a great learning experience. But I I was I, I was so honored and uh, blessed to be in in healthcare all of those uh, years. I loved the banking, and it was fun too, and it was a really a good uh, foundation for me for the rest of my career. But my passion became working in healthcare. Well, Tim, both of us used to be smarter. Uh, you were in banking, and I was in broadcasting, and uh, life was a little simpler. And then we jumped right into healthcare, when, uh, which, as you know, takes about five years to even understand the financing structure of how right. healthcare gets funded and, and all of that. And as you mentioned, uh, just learning the, the vocabulary, the vernacular, uh, the, about the different uh, uh, medical terms and those sorts of things. But tell us about that transition of moving from banking to healthcare and, uh, and where that was and what was your first position in healthcare? Well, at the time, uh, I, moved, I stayed in, in Lubbock for about a year and a half and switched over to another um, um, hospital that was there in Lubbock, stayed there for about a, a year and a half. And one of the uh, uh, CEOs that I had worked for one, uh, moved to Dallas and he asked me if I would join him there. I needed to get my master's and I knew that I needed to get my master's in uh, healthcare. Uh, and that just opened up that door that I could work during the, the day and uh, go to school at night, which I hated every moment of, of that. I had we had two small children and I was at a I was assistant administrator of a small hospital and doing that all day long and then go twice at uh, twice a week at, at night from five to nine at night and sit in classes. That was before they had online classes. Uh, and I just hated it. Uh, I, I loved going to school, but it was mostly because of the social aspect. And when you're married and small children and working, there is no social aspect of, uh, of school. And it's just the study part. And so that was that was several hard years just uh, just having to give up that time to do it. But, you know, it's just a ticket that you have to get punched to say that you have your master's in, in health care. And I'm, I'm awfully glad that I did it. And I was awfully glad I had it behind me. Well, follow up to that real quick. I think a lot of our listeners, uh, at least I know a lot of my buddies will be working and then go back to get their MBA or, or part-time MBA or executive MBA, or they may altogether go back full-time and, and do it. How, you know, you, you mentioned how it was tough and, and you've married and got young kids. How did you get through it, right? I mean, what, what is the mindset that you would encourage our listeners that might just be in that struggle right now of going, if I have to, if I have to go to class one more time? And I've got to go to work during the day and I've got to go change diapers. Uh, what, what encouragement would you give them? Well, I, I waited a short period of time, you know, especially while I was in Lubbock to make sure that healthcare was the field that I wanted to get into because I knew that making that commitment to get your master's in healthcare was going to be difficult. There wasn't going to be any, anything easy about it. But once I 
once I wrapped my head around that and decided I have to have a master's, there wasn't another option for it. And you just, you know, put your head down and just do what you have to do, just like you have to do in lots of things in, in life. And I, I knew that if I didn't have, I needed a master's of some kind. Not everybody has a master's in, in healthcare. Somebody, some people have a master's in business and other uh, things, but my undergraduate degree was in finance. And so I had the business side of that. And so I really needed the, the uh, healthcare aspect of it and put my head down and just did it and was grateful, grateful, grateful when it was uh, grateful when it was over. Well, and indeed that obviously paid off because after that, uh, how long was it before you became CEO? Uh, probably right after I finished my, my master's within the next six months, I probably got my first, uh, um, job as a CEO, which was in, um, Snyder, um, Texas. And, uh, I, I, I don't think I would have gotten that job if I hadn't had that master's in healthcare. I know that I wouldn't have gotten the job at, uh, Hendrick and Abilene if I hadn't, um, had it. So it's, again, it's just one of those things. It's just, you just have to do, and life is full of unpleasant things that you have to do. And you, uh, the the juggling uh, that you're talking about, all the just the daily things, Jacob, that you have to do with your kids, and that just it would just grieve me not to be able to do some of the things that I couldn't do. My parents had a travel trailer, and we moved it out behind our house so that I could. There's just no way I could have studied with kids coming in and out and all of that stuff. And so that that was my retreat wow. that I would go to. And if I I don't think if I'd had that, I would have been able to do it because it's too, too easy for kids, as you know, to come in and out the door when you're in there. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And then from Snyder, you wound up moving back to Brownwood. Is that right? Well, at that time, I moved back to um, I moved to Hendrick for the first okay. time. That's right. Um, and I just didn't understand. You know, I I kept thinking I was on this path to be a CEO of larger hospitals and to keep moving in that direction. But I just felt strongly that that's where the Lord wanted me to to be. And uh, you know, like like with all of my, all throughout my life. Uh, Regina and I were on our way to Brownwood where our kids were staying with my brother for two or three days. And we stopped off and went to a movie and ran into Mike Waters, who was the CEO of uh, uh, Hendrick at that time, ended up being my predecessor later to to Hendrick. Uh, but we started talking about uh, as we left that movie theater and I had not seen Mike in two years and just happened to see him. <laughs> I just think the Lord just put people like that in in your in your pathway that there's no way I could have worked that 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 out. But God God found a way found a way to make that happen. That uh, just just crazy things like that that wow. that would altered the course of of my career. And wow. then following that discussion, uh, what happened next? <laughs> well, he he didn't say anything about me coming to work for the. The hospital, but uh, I went to a meeting the next week, and all these people kept coming up to Hen from Hendrick and speak, introducing themselves to me and talking to me. And finally, at the end, one of the guys said, "Well, I guess you know we want you to come to work for us at Hendrick." And I said, "No, I don't know that. <laughs> that does explain why all of you are so friendly to me uh, at this meeting." But uh, anyway, it 
it, it wasn't where I thought I was supposed to go, but I felt so strongly that that's what the Lord wanted me to, to do. And it, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it, it was the best five years of that part of my career because I got to sit back and just watch and not be the CEO and watch what other people uh, were doing. And uh, I learned so much being, being in that, that role uh, without being the CEO that really helped me tr- tremendously when I came back uh, five years later. Now, do you remember what movie it was? <laughs> Jacob, that's a really good question. I, I wish I had some, like a spiritual answer to give you that it was the Ten Commandments or hey. something that I've <laughs> seen. But no, I don't remember. It was just on the whim that the Regina and our only way to pick up our kids. And that was probably our focus. And we said, we've got a little bit of time. Let's stop and go to the movie before we go pick them up. I guess we were looking for those last few minutes of freedom before <laughs> we became parents again. Uh, and just did it on a, on a whim. So no, I don't remember the movie, but I should. Well, I'm sure there's some leadership lesson there of, uh, you know, just doing, do it, just saying yes. Uh, and going to a movie and then all of a sudden, you know, life changes. Uh, that's, that's awesome. I, I love, I love stories like that. Well, definitely for me. And, you know, the, like I said, the Lord just did that throughout my life. That all, only thing I could look back and go, man, I am so glad somebody was in charge besides me and uh, those kinds of things that happened because the Lord just put people in my life and just made things happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Wow. Now, okay. So you were, you were at Hendrick, then, then you, you leave and then you come back. Tell, tell us how that happened and then tell us about getting to become CEO at Hendrick. Well, I started getting restless again, like I, I had during several times when I knew that I was possibly that I might need to be making a, a, a change. And, um, I started feeling I, I missed being a CEO and uh, uh, I, because I had such a good relationship with uh, Mike Waters, who was the CEO at the time, uh, I went to him and told him that I, th- I thought that that was something that I needed to be doing. And, and he was very supportive and uh, uh, and even gave me some contacts of uh, uh, people to, to call and he called people for me. Uh, and then you know, the job came up in Brownwood, which Brownwood is an hour and a half, uh, 90 miles from uh, from Abilene, gave me the opportunity to go that go there. Um, and it was just a great experience It's one of those things. I, I said I would never go back to Brownwood because I had too many relatives and I'd grown up there and I knew a lot of people that were there. And you just didn't the thought of going back. But it ended up being just a, a, a great, a great experience. Uh, uh, in my life and uh, rekindle lots of relationships. And, um, you know, and then I was close enough to, to Hendrick that I still stayed in contact with uh, with people there. And of course, then my life changed again uh, when Mike Waters called me and said he was going to be retiring. Uh, you know, and Hendrick is an inter- interesting organization. It's a faith-based, it's a Baptist uh, hospital, but it's been around for 90-something years. And Mike was only the third administrator in that nine, 90 year history. I was going to be the fourth eventually. Um, but when Mike called, like he did several people to let him know that he was going to be retiring. And I said, Mike, you know, I want your job. And I'm sure he was thinking, yeah, you and everybody else. Uh, <laughs> once that, 
that job. But anyway, it was a great journey and a great experience and uh, just on, honored and privileged to, to be able to go back to, to, to hinder. Wow. Well, anyone who's ever visited your campus or for our friends in West Texas that seek out care at Hendrick, you know what a phenomenal facility it is and just a great campus and through your and under your leadership, just some wonderful things happened uh, through Texas Tech, a School of Pharmacy, and many others that are now embedded on that campus. But one of the other things that is just really extraordinary if you stop and think about that. During your tenure, for most of the years, uh, almost perhaps almost every year that you were there at Hendrick, uh, you were selected by Gallup as a great workplace award winner. Um, and that is nothing to overlook. I mean, that is a big deal because there's some well-known organizations that fall into that same category. Tell us about receiving that, achieving that, and then also, Tim, about maintaining it. Well, it we, we read a book uh, called First Break All the Rules, and, and it's written by the Gallup organization. And that book just so resonated with the things that I believed. You know, I was a CEO of 3,000 and 3,000 people. Well, there's no way that I can have the impact on every one of those 3,000 employees. And, and Gallup talks about the importance of the frontline supervisor, of how important that, that uh, frontline supervisor is because they're with those employees every day. I may be in and out. Um, and, and, you know, I guess, you, I guess I, a CEO has some impact, but not like the frontline uh, supervisor. So we made a concerted effort to train people how to be better bosses. Um, uh, Gallup goes through um, an engagement score. They ask 12 questions that are so insightful and they're all based on research. And I'm a I'm a factual kind of guy, and I loved it that everything was based on um, research. And they they ask you things like, in the last ninety days, has your uh, has anyone given you rec- praise or recognition? Uh, and that's a knowing that those questions are going to be asked. One is a good checklist for a a, a boss to know I need to be giving praise or recognition. But it's not only from your boss, it's from other people that might be in another department that we need to be giving praise and recognition to other people. So anyway, we started on that uh, that journey and it was just a great journey. I, I loved the things that we learned uh, from that about how we could all and it, the, the, it was up to each one of us to be better bosses. We'd get our report card once a year to see how we were uh, how we were doing and the engagement that we have. Uh, we showed all of those scores, one department against another. So you would get to see how you were doing in relation to other other departments. Um, and the first year that we won that award, I had no it was the first, it was the first year they'd ever given the award. And we were in that first class um, and we were in company like Starbucks and Ritz Carlton and uh, companies all around the world. And then little old Hendrick and Abilene uh, uh, Texas. It was such an honor for us, but uh, and then an honor to stay there. Uh, but the honor was that our employees were so engaged in the work that they do and loved what they di- did, knew that they were doing meaningful work. And uh, it, w- it was just an honor to be a part of all that. Well, talk to our, you know, this is a, a faith and leadership podcast. I want to I hone in a second on, on that leadership aspect. You know, 
you you say little Hendrix, and I and I get it in terms of relatives of to Starbucks or a, a Ritz Carlton as far as people size, but three thousand I mean, that is not a small you know little organization. But but even if you are leading an organization that is quote unquote small as it as it pertains to your number count of employees, there's probably people listening to this that are going listen. I, I want to be that kind of leader. I want my company to have this great culture. I want uh, my employees to love to come to work. I want to do these things. But how do I become a, a Tim Lancaster kind of leader? Tell us about your leadership education journey. Where did that begin? How did you cultivate um, your leadership style? And if you're if you're talking to our, our audience, where should they get started or, or where should they continue to grow if they want to become that level of leader? Well, I'm, I began my leadership journey by watching other, other leaders. I, you know, growing up, um, my dad was in mostly blue collar kind of churches. And so all the people that we were around were mostly worker kind of people and not boss kind of people. So I just never been around bosses. And when, when I went to, to tech and I had a couple of jobs before I started on the, the job at the, the bank, but about came, fascinated with bosses and and I was so um, um, uh, I guess enamored by by bosses because I always thought those guys must be so smart to have gotten in those positions to have gotten there and then unfortunately I got to know some of those bosses and realized they are flawed people just like all of us and 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 some people do better at it than others. And I began to, to just watch how people that I related to, how I thought they did a good job of doing that. And, of course, people that I thought did a poor job, I, I wanted to learn from that to make sure that if I was ever a boss, that I would make sure that I didn't do the things that I saw them doing. And, and I thought, you know, I was a slow developer. And I, I didn't have the confidence in myself that I thought that I could ever be a strong uh, leader. And it wasn't until other people started noticing that I had some skills that I didn't even see that I had in myself um, that they helped me become a better leader. And then as I jump started that by watching other leaders that I saw what other people were doing, I learned so much just by watching people. And sometimes they didn't even know I was watching them. And I began to ask myself, would I have made that decision? Would I have handled that situation in that way? Is there a better way to have done that? And I learned so much just by doing all of that through the good leaders and the bad leaders. And, and I had good leaders, but I also had bad leaders. I had a guy that said, I've got your career in my hand and I can crush you at any time that I want to. I found that very motivating not not in a positive kind of way, but I just said I would never do that to, to anybody. But that was just the kind of leader that he that he was. So anyway, I just learned so much just by watching other people. Then you asked Jacob about the faith part of it. Now, Hendrick was a, a, a an easy place to practice faith and uh, uh, and the work that we did because our mission statement that was. Um, uh, posted all around the hospital was about the healing ministry of Jesus Christ because we were part of a Baptist uh, organization. So that one was easy. But I worked for for profit uh, corporations that not not quite so easy. But, you know, I tried to 
you know, I had a preacher one time that said, would the people that you work with on Monday morning be surprised to find out that you were a Christian? Mm. And I thought that is so convicting because would people be surprised if they found out that I was a Christian? And then hopefully you begin to live those things out, whether you, uh, I always felt comfortable that I could talk about it one-on-one. I was a little more careful in a, in a group setting when I was not at Hendrick in another organization, but we always had people that wanted to come forth and say, is it okay if we do a Bible study on our own time with our friends here at the, at where we're working? And it, it just happened all the time. And we had more, more prayers in some of those kind of places that uh, because it was all voluntary. But uh, anyway, you, you, I think you find a way to make that happen. Uh, you know, and I think we have to be careful that as leaders, though, we don't try and uh, enforce our faith on others because I don't appreciate it when other people that think differently than what I do try to make me think that way. So to me, it's more about living out what uh, what we're supposed to be doing, you know, follow my actions first and then what I say secondly. Hmm. Well, Tim, you are such a, uh, not only a dear friend, but one of the reasons you are a dear friend is because you're so well respected um, and, and, and loved by our family, but also within the entire healthcare sector. And you look at that culture that you created at Hendrick and it, uh, it speaks for itself. And also while you were there, some other very prestigious things happened to you. You were selected to serve as the chair of the Texas Hospital Association, which is, uh, that is a big deal. There is no question about it. You were also the chair of the Texas Association of Voluntary Hospitals. You served because of your love for leadership, the chair of the Texas Purchasing Coalition. You were also selected to serve on the Lieutenant Governor's Advisory Committee on Healthcare. And you're also a former regent within our own Society of Healthcare Administrators, known as the American College of Healthcare Executives, or ACHE. And then uh, you and I had the privilege of serving together on the Regional Policy Board for the American Hospital. Association. And then one of the things that I think is really uh, one of the highest honors you can receive as a Texas healthcare leader actually has its roots right there at Hendrick because Earl Collier uh, was uh, just a, a widely respected uh, CEO prior to Mike Waters that you mentioned earlier. And, uh, and both Mike is a recipient of the Earl M. Collier Award, but so are you. Uh, you're the recipient of that highest award that the Texas Hospital Association gives. Talk to our listeners a little bit, because this is just a, a list of huge accolades, but it really also represents that you were just not focused on your facility. You were wanting to roll up your sleeves and get deeply involved within your service sector. Uh, tell our leaders, uh, our, our listeners, why that is important. Well, um, and Glenn, it, it's it's very, very important. And, and I made a mistake early in my career of not getting involved in giving back to the um, to the organization that I was such a part of in, in healthcare. And it, it I didn't do that early on. And, and I wish I had. But in my defense, I was uh, worried about building a career. I was worried about my family, grow, uh, raising a family and doing things within my church and all those other things that life just gets us busy doing. And it's all about priorities and it's all about priorities in, in that time in your life when it's good to do those things. And many of those things that I I did as my kids got older and, and I could spend a little more time doing that. 
but I am so glad that I, I, I did. I learned so much about uh, leadership here, like the Texas Hospital Association. That's 500 hospitals or so across the state of, of Texas. And I learned so much by being around, sitting around the table with all of those uh, other people that were there. Not, not only was it good for my organization to be a part of that because I could, I could help uh, uh, with legislation. I could help with the direction of, uh, of healthcare. All of that went back to the job that I was doing. And people, I, I, just, I don't understand why people wouldn't want to do that at some point. I understand timing is not good for everybody, but if you're committed to your career, you should be committed uh, to making the profession that you've chosen to be the best that it can be. And, and it needs good people to be a, a part of that. And it needs different kinds of people to be a part of it as, as well. Well, thank you so much for your service. Uh, our, our Texas Association of, of Hospitals and our American Hospital Association and, and many other organizations are better off because of your service. So, Tim, thank, well, thank you. you. Thank you, but you too, Glenn. But that's where we met was being a part of some of those uh, uh, those groups. And uh, I always said I just wanted to be Glenn Robinson one day when I grew up. <laughs> well, I would say your standards are pretty low there. <laughs> the uh, well, you, you know, your your service outside of your day to day job didn't just stop and hasn't just stopped with with uh, healthcare. Um, it, you're also heavily involved in the local community, wherever you've been living at the time you've served as chair of the Abilene chamber of commerce. Uh, you were even recognized as the outstanding citizen of the year, which I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know if that comes with any special perks or anything, but, um, yeah, I t- kept t- waiting. There's, there's, there was nothing monetary. So, oh, sorry. Dang it. All right, all right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'm, I want to get your opinion on and, and, um, advice on getting involved, obviously, in your community. I think we all know at a surface level that's something we should do. I'm, I'm not sure people know uh, maybe the why behind it, right? Well, I, yeah, I need to get involved in my local community. But tell us some of the benefits that you've reaped uh, from doing that uh, personally and professionally uh, for, for the next generation out there of saying, yeah, I, I know I need to do that, but why do I need to do that? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd say, first of all, it, you can make it self-serving if that's what can be your motivation. But being involved in your, your local community and making your local community as strong as it can be, that, that has enormous benefits for you as a business owner. You know, I, w- I was a, a leader of a, of a community hospital. If I wasn't involved in the community itself, how could I expect people to come back and support the community hospital if I was not willing to give back uh, to making that community the best that it could be, just like I wanted my hospital to be the best that it could be. I wanted my community to be the best that it could be. Um, but my, my involvement with, um, you know, and I've done Lions Club and Rotary and uh, uh, all of those things over the over the years, and they're all wonderful. And it's what you, you have to find something that you give back. At, at Hendrick, we had our top 50 uh, leaders. They had to do some voluntary um, uh, work sometime within the year. And we required everybody to do that. And they had to report that back to me. Um, and I, I didn't care what it was. I just wanted you to give back something 
to your community. It could be leading a Boy Scout troop. It could be teaching a Sunday school class. It could be uh, being on uh, 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 some committee that uh, the chamber was doing. I just wanted people to give back so that they saw that it, it's the jobs that we did within the hospital, you were impacting people's lives, but we get paid for doing that. It's a blessing to be doing that, but we got paid for, for doing that. We needed to be something, we needed to be doing something as leaders of that hospital to give back to make sure that that community was a better place for doing it. And I had a pushback from a few people at the very beginning, but Unfortunately, those people that pushed back, they weren't team players. And, and they, and, and that became more apparent late, later on within other things. That was just one symptom. But most of the people saw the benefit of giving back and doing something that you don't get paid for doing. It, it's a completely, it's a completely different mindset. And if everybody did that and every organization did that, man, our communities would be out, outstanding. Sure. No, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. Well, you know, there, there's a lot of powerful uh, father son combos out there. You look across sports uh, and you see fathers who are professional baseball players and their sons turn into professional baseball players, football. You see it with Thomas Rhett and his dad. Uh, and then there's you and Chris uh, you've got, uh, you were a very successful CEO. Uh, your son uh, has a very uh, successful emerging career as a CEO already. What has that been like to watch him uh, take over those roles, uh, probably reflect back on your younger days of uh, some of those uh, first ro- or early roles? Uh, what has it been giving advice? Are, are you more of a mentor? Are you uh, a coach? Are you a listener? H- how has that been as, as a father to watch him uh, you know, emerge as a, as a successful leader? I think it's something as a father, as you're <laughs> I have two sons. And so it's something that you have to be careful with because I remember some of the advice that my dad gave me. I didn't always appreciate the advice when I was an adult and he was still giving me advice. And so I think I'm very selective about the advice that I give. Now, Chris and I have lots of discussions about healthcare in general, but I'm probably past the point of giving him advice Instead, I send him to work for wonderful people like Glenn Robinson that would give him (laughs) an opportunity that Glenn had to undo all of those things that I had uh, burdened Chris with all those years. And Glenn took him to another level. But, you know, it's it's like both of my sons are very, very different, but they're very smart and very successful in both of the careers that they've done. And it's just such a joy to watch them. now in these parts in their career, uh, you know, I do worry about Chris from time to time because he, he's already the CEO of Covenant Medical Center. And there's, I don't know, that's a large organization. They've got 4,000 or so employees and he's 37 years old. And, wow. um, you know, he's he's done really well in a short period of uh, time, but it's because he had good mentors like uh, like Glenn that that helped him. Um Unfortunately, Chris and I have a lot of characteristics that are alike. I, I'm hoping he'll grow out of some of those and, and get a little better as he gets older. But he's 
he's doing very well and I'm very proud of him, but I'm also proud of my other son, Chad, that has done, done equally as well in his profession that he's chosen. They're just, they're two brilliant, uh, uh, fine young men that I'm very proud of. That's good. Well, you and Regina should be very proud of both of them. And of course, uh, as you've already hinted, I've had a little bit of a, a greater opportunity to get to know Chris and his wife, Meredith, and their three boys uh, because of Chris's five years with us here at Baylor Scott and White Hillcrest. And, uh, and just what an awesome leader he is. And just watching him uh, continue to grow. Our, my good friend, Dr. Rod Hockman, who's the CEO of Providence Health System out in Seattle, uh, the Covenant Hospital there in Lubbock, as you know, Tim, is a part of that system. And Chris is just so well thought of by Dr. Hockman and, and so many other leaders there. And we're just uh, uh, so proud to watch him continue to grow and flourish uh, in, in, in that role there uh, in Lubbock. And of course, now you and Regina live in Lubbock, so you're now dependent on, on, on him and his health care system to continue to take care of you too, my friend. Uh, I, and as I'm getting older, I need that a lot more than I used to need it. Glenn, I don't know if you remember when Chris met you, we were at a Texas Hospital Association meeting. We're at a uh, a prayer breakfast, uh, I believe, that began before the uh, the the association meets. And Chris and I were standing there talking together. And I look around, and he's back talking to Glenn. And and I motioned to him, "Are you going to come sit up here?" And he goes, "No, I think I'll sit back here with Glenn." And I went, <laughs> "Well, so much for that father son time that we were going to uh, have." He found a new mentor right away, and he was uh, he he was on to bigger and better things. No, he thinks the world of you. And uh, uh, I know that often I would talk to him on Monday mornings and uh, we would be talking about projects. And he said, well, I talked to dad about this. And he had he had an idea about this. And I'm like, bring it on. I mean, we, we need all the great ideas around here we can we can muster. And so he 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 respects you deeply. Well, you, you obviously uh, had a lot of roles within the healthcare world. You had a lot of different roles within your local community. But another fascinating role uh, that you had uh, was that you were selected to serve as a board of regent uh, for the Texas Tech University. And then ultimately as the chair of the board of regents for Texas Tech. What what was that experience like? I, I got to see the A&M side as a student a, a little bit. And it's a fascinating uh, world, to, to say the least. Uh, tell us what you learned. How was that? learning a completely new uh, industry and profession of higher education. Uh, any funny, memorable stories stick out? <laughs> well, it's it's actually one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I've had some interesting uh, experiences. But as you know, Jacob and Glenn, too, with your involvement with Baylor, that um, education is a complex environment, uh, just like healthcare is. And I think I was prepared for being a regent because I had been a part of a, a complex uh, organization like healthcare, but education, it, it, it's, it's tough. And especially state uh, uh, organizations where you've got politics involved and, and everybody cares a lot about the academics, but it's really about football that they care the most uh, about. And so whenever anything would happen on the athletic side, that would get certainly get a whole lot more comments about that. But it was really such an honor to uh, to do that. And I, I, I loved it and I'm glad I, I did it. Like I said, it, it's very, it was very tough because again, while I was doing that, it's when I was working uh, full time and, uh, and doing that and just having the time to spend to, to do that is not easy to do. 
Uh, and we went through some tough times with some changes of chancellors and things like that that are all, always uh, uh, challenging. Um, and Jacob, you might not appreciate this, but the thing that I enjoyed the most was uh, getting the vet school uh, approved. And uh, A&M has had, as you know, Jacob, A&M has had the only vet school in uh, in Texas for forever. Um, um, Texas Tech thought that they needed one just because of what we're involved in as well, which is agriculture and uh, uh, a lot of farming and uh, a lot of that kind of stuff. And, and where Lubbock is is located um, and I had the chance to be in Amarillo a couple of weeks ago and see that new school and the new students that are starting and just made me very proud to have had a small role to play in that uh, that portion of that. Just just made me very proud. And I, I think that's the thing you get to look back and you shake hands with all of those graduating seniors. And, you know, every one of them have a story about how they got through school and how tough it was and uh, uh, it's just, just an honor to be a part of that. Uh, it's something that changes people's lives. Really enjoyed it. Now, I, I assume um, your signature is on, when you were the chair, is your signature on everybody's diploma? That's a good question. I, I never looked at those diplomas because, Jacob, <laughs> as you know, what you get is a blank piece of paper. Right, right. Because <laughs> I, I know I know mine from, I often, I'll, I'll look at mine, one, just often to, uh, Sometimes I shake my head and I go, I can't believe they actually gave me one. But uh, and the the chairman of the board of regents, it's, it's his, his signature from that year and the president of the university. And I've often wondered uh, how nervous, you know, I assume it's it's auto pen generated. But like, mm-hmm. I mean, if I, I get nervous at like the DMV when you got to sign your driver's license, I can't imagine doing <laughs> the one that gets put on everybody's diploma. Yeah. When I, when I was the CEO, it, uh, Glenn mentioned we had a pharmacy school and a, a Texas Tech School of Pharmacy and the Texas School of Nursing. And we did hand sign all of those diplomas. And that was a lot to go through yeah. just to do 60 pharmacy and I don't know, 100 nurses a, yeah. a year. Uh, that took a while to do that. But Thank goodness those were auto signed for for the others. But that's interesting, Jacob. I never did see one because every time I'd shake somebody's hand, I knew it was just a blank piece of paper that yeah. they were getting. So wow. It'd be fun to that'd be fun to to find out. You walk into somebody's office and you're like, Yeah, it's my signature. That's, that's my signature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have seen it as I've been in a few buildings that were approved during my time. And to have your name on a building that uh, was uh, uh that was starting during that time, it's kind of fun to go back and, and see that. That's awesome. I think you drew just a great correlation, uh, Tim, because I, I don't know of two industries that are more complex in the reimbursement structure than education and healthcare, and yeah. and and just understanding how we try to cobble together a bottom line in healthcare probably helped you a tremendous amount uh, going into that position as regent. Uh, any memorable stories looking back uh, during that time uh, while you served on the board of regents? Anything that you that you can share? Well, I, I, gosh, there's so so many things that you that you're involved in and that you do that are confidential that you can't can't do. But um, I just enjoyed hearing the stories of the students of the students that had maybe struggled um, even getting. They were first generation students that were uh, coming in to be students, and and you know their parents at graduation would just be crying, and everybody's so grateful. It's such an emotional time to have those first uh, 
and I'm I'm sitting there trying not to because at, at each graduation you'd go through about a thousand people and we would shake each one of their hands and your hand is exhausted by the time you shake a thousand hands and I'm kind of a cleanliness nut too and to shake that many hands was really difficult but I'd always be reminded of the stories of each one of those hands that you shook, that you knew there were some stories that were very emotional for them. And I, it was just such a gratifying time. I just, I, I love that part of it. Yeah. It's a big honor. It's a big honor. Yeah. Well, Tim, you know, we, we've talked about leadership today and um, we have a number of, of listeners out there who are in their, you know, uh, early on in their leadership career, more seasoned uh, in their leadership journey. Uh, and you've you've just had such a wide variety of leadership opportunities and experiences, uh, trials and successes uh, and, and all of the above. Um, would you just share some of the important leadership lessons you've learned along the way and some encouragement you would give to those young leaders out there listening today? Yeah. And Jacob, maybe I have a lot of advice for, for people just because of I've, I've, I've had a lot of experiences I've been around for a long time, but you know, my number one advice for, for young leaders is, is to be careful and not get ahead of themselves there. You just cannot substitute everything that you've learned and how smart you are for the experiences that you're going to to gather over the years. And I look back on my career, especially early on when I didn't have as many experiences and things are not always as they seem. And you, and you, you go in and you see one thing and then experience teaches you something different over time that it's not always what it appeared uh, when it first came to you. So I, I tell people to be careful about trying to go too too quickly before they've had the experience. Uh, I'd say one of the things that I always tried to do when I'd moved to a new location is, is try to let get to know people. And I wanted people to get to know me and I wanted to get to know uh, people. And I underestimated that early in my career um, of the importance of, of People are not going to just follow you just because you suddenly walk in one day and somebody's given you this job and they don't know you. They don't know anything about you. They don't know what you've done in your in your past and what kind of person that you are. And on the flip side, you don't know anything about the, them either. And so you need to get to know people. They need to get to know you and you need to get to know people. And that was my first thing. And Glenn, you probably did the same thing when you go to and you try to get to know as many people as you can. And then the second thing that I'd always do is try to develop those leaders uh, around me. Later, as I got more experienced, I realized that was actually biblical, that uh, that's what Jesus did was bring, he, he brought all of these imperfect people around him and brought him together and tried to teach them uh, things and they were flawed again just like all of us are flawed in in our uh, in our journeys and what we're trying to learn and I tried to spend the most time with the people that were going to be impacting other people because I felt like if we were all on the same page they could go out and do other things with other people that uh, uh, that re, uh, reported to uh, to them so those those are the two things that I mean, I could go on and on, but those are two things that I just you just you, you can't 
you can't give enough time to doing those. Cause I think once people learn to trust you and that's probably another thing that you have to start earning that respect of people as soon as you can, because you're going to need that respect in in some of those hard, hard decisions that you're going to make. And if people know you and they know that you're, is your heart and your mind is in the right place. They're, they might not understand the decision that, the, that you just made, but they're going to trust you because you've earned their respect. And so I tried to do that as, as quickly as, as possible uh, too. I think that's such great advice, Tim. Build that currency, build that bank account uh, with those people that you work with because we never know what another day holds and why that trust in you as a leader uh, becomes very, very valuable. Yeah. Um, and it, it can happen so quickly. And uh, and if you've taken time to do what you're encouraging all of us to do, take time to build those relationships in a solid way, and then you won't be second-guessed when you need to call upon your leaders to help you in a time of uh, decision-making or challenges or whatever may come your way. Yeah. As you know, Glenn, a leader is nothing without those relationships. They turn around and look and no one's following them. That's not much of a leader. You've got to, you've got to have those relationships to make sure that people are following what you're, what you're trying to do. Yeah. I think the adage is, uh, that's not a leader. That just means you've gone for a hike by yourself. in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I think I think it says something, right? I mean, one of our earlier podcast guests, Larry O'Donnell, you know, he's quote unquote famous for being on the first episode of Undercover Boss. But Larry was was doing Undercover Boss, uh, you know, maybe not with the 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 makeup and the wig, but he was doing it as Larry before mm-hmm. the show came along, and he was going out on trash routes and 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 uh, picking up you know trash cans with individuals. I. I you know, I know you did it, Tim, and I grew up watching my dad. We'd move to a new hospital and he'd spend the first few months, one day a month, going to serve in different departments. And uh, whether picking up trash outside or uh, going into surgery, where I think he fainted a couple of times. There's a reason but, why we didn't do those jobs. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. right. That's right. Well, actually, but, there were two reasons. One is because I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor. And the second was that I do have a pretty weak tummy when it comes yeah. to those <laughs> but, things. But what you get is, is you know, for, for all those instances, you, you get somebody that the, the frontline workers know that they, that the, the C-suite, if you will, at least understands and at least has put, uh, you know, a name and a face together and is not afraid to get out there and, and do the hard things. And so uh, I, I think that's great encouragement to to us younger leaders of, of nobody's uh, too important to, to do a job. And um, I think I think that's some some great wisdom. But yeah, um, it, it, yeah, that that is so important. And like hospitals, because that's what we're talking about today is. They're such complex organizations and they have all sorts of kinds of people in them and different levels of education. And it it's just a little bit of, of society that, that are there. And you it doesn't run if everybody is not doing what they're supposed to, to do. And it takes everybody to, to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, if, if our guests have, have not picked up already, you and my dad are pretty good friends. And, and yes. one of the things that my dad let me in on uh, is that you're a masterful storyteller. Uh, so before we jump into rapid fire, do you have any encouraging or humorous stories you'd like to share with us today? You know, no one should set you up like that, should they? <laughs> they should say, Especially say a good things, friend. They should say things like you're a mediocre storyteller and maybe you shouldn't be telling uh 
<laughs> oh, I don't know. We, we, when when people like Glenn and I have done these things for so long time, we we have lots of stories uh, to to tell. I, I guess one of the funniest that I I don't still look back and laugh on the, on this because there's always a little tension between uh, physicians and hospital administrators. So one, I, I agree the same thing that Glenn just said. I was not smart enough to be a doctor, and secondly, I didn't want to be a doctor. But healthcare is, has a business side to it too, and you have to run a a business and. We were in a meeting one day and trying to um, uh, talk about some a new business adventure that we wanted to do. And not every physician was on board that we wanted to do it. And one of the physicians that did not like me very much um, stood up and she said, physicians, we need to remember we are the smartest people in the room. We have always been the smartest people and we always will be. And she turned to me and said, I guess there's some qualification to get into business school. I guess they don't let just anyone in. <laughs> and after that meeting, and I, I have a sense of humor. She didn't intend it to be funny, but to me it was funny. But every meeting I went to after that physician, but please don't hold that against us. Please don't. We did not say that. That was that is that does not <laughs> echo the way that uh, that we feel, but I, I just always had to remember physicians are smart and they are the smartest people in, in the room. But the ones I enjoyed working with the most were the people who are the collaborators that people hmm. saw that there was something that I brought to the table, which was experience that I had in, in running and leading and all of those kinds of things. But I could never do what they do. I could never go to the operating room. I could never diagnose something that was in their uh, their office. And so if we could end up having that mutual respect for each other, obviously that physician and I did not have the, mo- the most uh, mutual respect, but thank goodness that, that that was in the minority or I never would have been able to do anything I needed to to do so i mean i i feel like that truly had to be one of those you could hear a, a pin drop on carpet moment uh <laughs> and, i mean i just i feel like i envisioned this boardroom and her finishing her sentence and every head swiveling over to you uh it, what what was what was your response i mean i feel like i'd either be angry or just start laughing i'm not sure which one i would do well fortunately i can laugh at the absurdity of a moment <laughs> and so i <laughs> When I was when I was younger, I probably would have gotten mad and stood up. And uh, uh, in fact, I think I did stand up and I said, first of all, it's not a contest. Y'all are the smartest people in the room. I'll admit that right now. Uh, And I don't want to be the smartest people in the room. However, and then I tried to lead it back to what we were discussing. And yes, it was very quiet. And we had visitors from outside of our organization that were there and Two years later, they were still coming up to going, remember that meeting we had where that <laughs> physician stood up and said that? But, you know, luckily, Glenn, as I'm sure you did, there, there's always there's few people like that everywhere. And you just have you have to work with those kinds of people, just like you have to work with the people that you have a good relationship with. And you could have heard a pin drop. And yes, every eye was on me. 
And I thought that that's when it was in my best interest just to laugh uh, yeah. uh, about it. So, what is what did Abraham Lincoln say? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. yeah. Oh well, Tim, this has been just such a treat having you here. And, and as you know, uh, because uh, I often get text from you following different episodes, uh, you do listen to us from time to time, and so you know what's coming next. And those are our rapid fire questions. And uh, Jacob has our first one for you. All right. The best and worst advice you've ever been given. Well, I've been given lots of advice and I, I hope I listened to most of it because my best advice I was ever given was be a good listener uh, because I already know what I think about different situations, but it's only until I get the other input from other people that I could really make an informed decision and besides, you're doing an injustice to people if you don't give them that time to to voice their opinion of, of something that they they are professionals too that you're working with, and and you need to give them that time to listen to what they have to to say. And I learned that that uh, valuable lesson early on, and it it served me well. And I'm I'm you know, there were times when I was not a very good listener and the outcome was not good because I didn't listen at, at the time. And so I'd always try and remind myself, you, you've got to be a good listener to do what, uh, to get to the right answer that you, that you're looking for. Any bad advice? Oh yeah. I think, you know, I think it took a while for me to learn this one too, but, um, I had people that told me early on that you can do anything that you want to do and and that probably is true if you work hard enough that you can do it. But I've known so many people that have been in leadership roles that should not have been there. It was a goal that they had and they wanted to be there, but they didn't have the skill set. They weren't good at it. People did not follow them in what they were doing. Uh, so I, I think something that you need to learn is knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at and only only go only do those things that you can really excel at. And just because you could do it, but the question is, should you do it? And I think that's a harder, harder lesson for us to to learn. Yeah. Two, two very different questions. Right? <laughs> <laughs> could and should. Well, uh, how about the most influential people in your life? Well, probably different people at different times in my life. My parents especially were, um, you know, early in my Life, they were just really good people, and I, I was blessed to have two very good Christian family, uh, two parents that were as good at home as they were when they were in front of other people. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized that is not always the the case. There's a lot of people that are uh, 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 a Christian on Sunday and a different person on Monday. But I was very blessed that my parents were uh, were the same at home as they were at. Uh, uh, at church or other places. Uh, and then Regina, as uh, these last 44 years, she has tried. She's tried to do the best that she can with me to make something <laughs> better out of um, me. Regina is everything that I am not. She is kind. She is compassionate. She is empathetic to everybody. I score, I score very low on all of those uh, those things, but she has tried to help me over the years. And so she's She's probably made me better than uh, than what I was, but uh, she she hasn't given up trying yet. And then the bosses that I've had over the years, the good and the bad, 
man, I learned something from every one of those, equally the good and equally the bad, uh, because I found people, I found things that I wanted to make sure I would not do. And then I, I found things I wanted to make sure that I did those. And then now I'm in kind of an interesting chapter of my life where I am learning from my two sons. And that is um, you. I couldn't talk about them. I get emotional, but it's such a blessing to watch them to be godly men, godly parents, godly bosses. Uh, and to see the struggles that uh, young leaders go through, it, it's just a good reminder of, of what people go through uh, when I watch what my sons have done and to see where they are at this time in their life. And I just have an appreciation uh, for people that try to do the right thing. And I'm so proud of my sons and, and where they are. So, mm. Wow. That's good. Wow. That's good. Well said. Well said. Well, I heard a, a pastor on a podcast this morning say uh, over the last year, he's lost all concept of time uh, because it's just been a weird year and a half. Uh, right. But if you can think back over the last year, what big events have taken place in your life over the past year? Well, it has been a, a weird year because, it, you know, it's right after I retired. I've been retired for a couple of years now. And uh, we had all these plans to travel with good friends like Glenn and Rhonda and uh, some of that's been, been put off. Uh, but I think the biggest event is we had grandson number five that was uh, born during a COVID uh, um, year and just at the height of all of that stuff. And just what a weird time that that was to have a, a baby and everybody's worried about going in and having a baby to begin with and being in the hospital. But then as grandparents and other, you can't be there. Your friends can't be there. Your parents can't be there. And uh, it was just a weird time. But now um, about a year later, it's fun to see that he survived that just like everybody else did. So that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, We were were talking this weekend because Sarah Catherine, our youngest, is due and uh, next month. And so we were, we're talking about how different that's going to be of not being able to have those traditional hospital visits and, uh, and that sort of thing. But uh, you're an encouragement that it's all going to turn out. Okay. So just don't worry about it. That's right. This too shall pass. Uh, Exactly. Well, Tim, how about the last time you took a risk and how did that work out for you? Well, the risks that I take today are quite a bit less than what I used to take a a couple (laughs) of years ago. Right. Glenn, and but I took a, a risk about two months ago and went to a board meeting and uh, we all decided we were invincible and didn't wear a mask. And about 10 of us came out of that with COVID. And uh, so I even though I was vaccinated and uh, all of that, but I'm grateful I had a very light uh, case. Regina didn't even uh, get it. And uh, um, uh but I, I should have known better uh, than to do that. But I, again, thought I was invincible. And that was right the lull when we thought we were all all better. But uh, anyway, I've, I've survived it uh, uh, much better than than some have done. So wow. and you're feeling and you're feeling well today. Yes. Uh, don't have a sense of smell back uh, yet, but everything else is uh, is there. So, uh, again, I was very, very fortunate to, to have, a, have a light case. 
Well, we're glad. We're glad that vaccine allowed you to have a milder case. And obviously the vaccine worked. Regina didn't even get it. So that's I, I, I know I, I tell everybody that I would have had a tough case if I hadn't had that vaccine. So yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us the best or most meaningful place you've ever visited. Well, Regina and I enjoy traveling and we love Italy as a place to travel. So a couple of years ago, we went to a place called uh, Ravella that is right above the Amalfi Coast. And it's a just a quaint little community. And we stayed there during the uh, for about a week and did some day trips uh uh, and we are ready to go back. We just we just loved it. The Italian people were so friendly and uh, just people from all over the world. And you just sat in the piazza and drank coffee and just enjoyed watching people. And I'm, I'm ready to go back and uh, enjoy that beautiful, beautiful countryside again. Nice. Well, I think we need to plan a trip uh, and uh, make that a return visit. And hopefully this uh, new variant will decline and uh, we'll be able to hopefully safely travel again. Yeah, and uh, we'll, there won't be another one behind it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Tim, you've already talked about your amazing parents. Anything else that you learned from them that uh, you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I, I w- was very fortunate that they taught me to have respect for everybody, re- regardless of who they are, what position that they hold, just really just period, just just have respect for people. And uh, everybody's struggling. Everybody's trying to do their 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 best. And if you kind of go in with that kind of mindset, sometimes people disappoint you that it's uh, not the uh, um, they don't always have the best interest, but uh, it, it served me well. And it made me appreciate people, no matter the job that they were doing, that uh, everybody's job matters and everybody matters in what they're doing. Well, I always get intrigued by this next question, but especially for individuals that have had various uh, roles. Tell us about the best and worst job you've ever had. You know, I think about this every time I listen to y'all's podcast because I think about this job because I hated it so, so much. So this is obviously my worst job that I had. My uncle owned a a motel that was on a lake and the, the... the sewer system was a septic tank. And so on really busy times, you had to empty that septic tank and go pull a truck up to it, uh, empty that, and they'll go take it somewhere to empty it. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm a cleanliness kind of guy. I like to be clean. And that was the messiest, dirtiest job that I have ever had. And of course, my dad was always good about finding those kind of jobs for us to make sure that we had our education, that the education was going to be important. Oh. And every day I did that job, I'm going to college, I'm going to college. And it, it was a it was a horrible job and I hated it. And I could hardly wait for the summer to be uh, uh, to be over and hardly wait to go home and shower every night after that day was was over with. Yeah, that 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 might take the cake as the winner of uh it yeah. was awful. I know that's probably a winner. All right. So, so best job then best job. Well, best job that uh, I, I was fortunate to work at a lot of really, really good places. And, and I loved every one of them, every place that I worked, but Hendrick was just the culmination of all the different places that, you know, it was faith-based. Uh, I love the mission, which was about the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. And I just love the people that were there. I love the physicians. I love the, 
executive staff and the management staff and the employees that I worked with, um, people really did buy into it. We are here to make a difference in people's lives at a time when they need us. And that was just such an honor to be a part of that. And so that, that, like I said, I worked a lot of, a lot of great places, but that, that one was probably the best. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. That, that one doesn't surprise me as far as the answer. <laughs> well, uh, you're one of my greatest sources on good books and also good things to watch on television. Rhonda and I always enjoy asking you and Regina, what are you up to on and what's on your bookshelf or what's on your nightstand or what's on your TV uh, playlist, but uh, what book are you reading right now? Well, I'm actually reading uh, by an author that you recommended to me, Charles Martin. I'm re- reading The Letter Keeper, which is his new book, uh, follow up to his Waterkeeper. And so I've just started that, but it's uh, good. I, I like to read him uh, uh, occasionally, and then I like to mix it in with others. Uh, and the other book that I'm reading is uh, called The Preacher and the President, and it's about Billy Graham. Oh, wow. uh, and, and it's about all of the different relationships that he had with the different uh, uh, presidents. And I think my brother recommended that to me. And, and I just love that that book. I'm a big fan of uh, Billy Graham's to begin with. I just have a lot of respect for him as an individual. Uh, and it's just it's interesting to see at the beginning. They interviewed him right before he uh, uh, before he, he died. And um and, and all the things that he learned over the years. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not through with it. I'm just about halfway through it, but I've just really enjoyed it and, and made me respect him because he's a man with flaws, just like the, the rest of us. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Well, in addition to the Bible, what's the best book you've ever read? Well, if you'd let me put them into categories, the best uh, spiritual book that I've ever read is Experiencing God. And um, I need to pick that up and read that again, because it was just life changing uh, for me. Uh, One, uh, he um, Henry Blackaby brought it about about how God just used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I I guess I just never put that together until I, I, I read that and all the different examples that he gave. And it just makes all of us. We should feel like we have no excuses because that's what God has done all, all throughout all of time is just use ordinary people like us to do things. And, and uh, that was just life changing for me to, uh, to think about that. Uh, and then uh, professionally, uh, the book that I mentioned earlier about first break, all the, the rules, that was just a game changer for me. It just solidified a lot of things that I'd been thinking about uh, and that I knew but I loved it that it was based on research. And um, I, I just love that. And uh, uh, it helped change our, our organization. So I love that. Fictionally, if I'm going to read a fiction book, I love anything by Nelson DeMille or Pat Conroy. I just love <laughs> I like a little bit of humor and <laughs> some of it's a little off color, but, uh, but I still enjoy, uh, I, I enjoy a good fiction book uh, to read that. Not to put you on the spot, favorite Pat Conroy book? Oh, uh, The Great Santini. Uh, I don't yeah. know why that resonated because I, I wasn't in the military, but just the struggles that 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 he as an adult had. And then I just thought it was good. And the struggles, the kids, it was just it was a it was a good character study, I thought. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I would probably have to say South Abroad uh, for mine. Like uh, uh, Pat Pat Conroy uh, that that book is hilarious, and, yes. and like you said, it it has it has some colorful moments <laughs> in it, uh, as all Pat Conroy books do. But uh, but those are good. Well, Tim, I got to ask, what's next for Tim Lancaster? You know that that's a good question, and that, that that's really my prayer every day because I just feel so blessed to be. Um, uh, in this season of my life, I'm just, we're sitting, we're going at such a different pace than we've gone in 30 years. And I'm, I'm just really enjoying it. Uh, I'm involved in three boards that you mentioned, uh, uh, publicly traded uh, bank board, which is um, very, very challenging. And I enjoy that. But I, I love the ministry of Buckner uh, International. It's just so interesting to see the things that they do all around the uh, the world. And then I still enjoy being uh, involved with Texas Tech, so doing the foundation. But um, I'm, I'm still open for other things if I need to, if I need to be doing, I want to make sure that I'm not selfish with this time in my, my life, but I have to say I'm really enjoying it as well. Well, I have to tell a a quick personal story. When I was trying to decide last year whether to retire or not, uh, I called Tim. He was one of the folks that I just really value your opinion. And you gave me some great advice. You said, you and Rhonda love those grandkids. That's your priority in life. Why aren't you doing it right now? And yeah. so uh, thank you for helping give me the nudge uh, to uh, transition like you have into what I consider the, the greatest phase of life. And so oh, thank you, my friend. I know it. It's un, it's unbelievable, and you get to reunite and see friends like you and uh, Rhonda. And uh, if we can get COVID behind us, we'll start that traveling again. I love it. I love it. Well, Tim, uh, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today. Obviously, I've, I've heard uh, about you for years. I know how much my dad uh, and mom love uh, you and Regina. So, just thank you uh, for taking time out of your day to, to sit here and talk with us. It's, it's been a true honor. Well, I appreciate y'all lowering the bar enough for, for me to be on your show because y'all have had some great, I think I've listened to every podcast that y'all have done and uh, and I've I, I forwarded it to other people and other people have enjoyed this too. And, and we need this in a time like this. So I'm, I'm just grateful for you, you two doing this and leading the way. It's, it's been a blessing to lots of people. So thank y'all. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, to our listeners, as always, thank you so much for, for tuning in today and listening. We're going to have all the links to Tim's connections, uh, Texas Tech, the Texas Tech Foundation, uh, Hendrick Medical Center in the show notes below. So check those out if you're interested. And uh, like you said, thanks for listening. Our guest today, Tim Lancaster, healthcare and banking leader. Thanks so much, Tim, for being here, my friend. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Make sure you subscribe, share our podcast with others, and follow us along on our Instagram account. And until next time, keep chasing what matters. <music>